Greetings Grapple fans and welcome to the latest edition of Rerun the Rivalry, the penultimate episode of our first series of this podcast within the Let Me Tell You Something universe, in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross, discuss a series of matches involving two particular individuals or maybe even tag teams in the future we never will know until we decide what we're going to do but charting the entire history of their rivalry from an in-ring perspective with every match and maybe in the future we'll spread out further into other aspects of wrestling feuds and rivalries and how they're presented but we're going for the penultimate match as I said of the first series Simon where are we when are we and who's involved We are back at the G1, back again with the ill behaviour at the G1. Two years removed from our previous match, and it's another just, it's just a regular standard British block match between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. What makes the block British? I was just paraphrasing Peep Show, the uh, Christmas episode. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, it's just been in my head a lot recently. I apologise. Well... This is not going to be a match involving two figures that would relate that much to either Mark or Jez. But, since it's a podcast, it's going to involve two people that definitely relate to it talking about it. (laughs) Okay, now I have to ask, very quickly. Out of Mark and Jez, and Tanahashi and Okada, who's the Jez and who's the Mark? Of Tanahashi and Okada, who is Jez and who is Mark? Yeah. Tanahashi's a thinker, and Mark's a thinker. So I guess you've got to go with Tanahashi as Mark and Okada as Jez. If anyone's going to get their hair to look like anyone in this, it would be Jez getting his hair to look like Okada's. That, that's true. And out of the two, Okada is so much more Rainbow Rhythms than Tanahashi. Especially Kokada. But we digress. (laughs) We do already. But it is funny going down this path. I was just talking to a friend, and he was bringing up the bell curve. Do you know what the bell curve is? Blanked. Go on, tell me. <laughs> it's a sort of it's a it's a graph where things like you peak at the middle, so it's all so it's shaped like a bell essentially. Yeah, and that's where so many like it's such a common way that the world is ordered. But one of the books I read last year was basically saying the bell curve's bullshit. But I was thinking when you compare it to this feud maybe we are sort of towards the end of the bell curve as it's curving back downwards on a i don't know about quality perspective it implies that we're getting to bad quality but the good times have gone by now i think it's fair to say right down to the fact that this has been booked not even as the opening day of the g1 where it's an introduction it's the main event of the second day therefore it's usually is not one that they're trying to draw people in to get viewers immediately. That was for whatever main event in the previous day. I don't know which one that was. Maybe Will Ospreay was doing that. I'm not sure. Or Kodrabushi, possibly. And it just doesn't feel as significant to either of them. And they're kind of... This is Okada at a time when he's starting to really get the first real critical backlash, I suppose, towards him. And if any two words can sum up the issue that people have had with Okada around this time, I think you can think of which two words it was at this time, Simon, can't you? <laughs> Money clip. Money clip Okada. That's a weird phase in his character. And again, when you factor in that Kokada was a real thing, 
this this gives you the idea of how weird this was. He just decided to not use the Rainmaker as much as possible for like a year. I, I don't know. It was just weird, and it sort of like cost him matches. And it was this whole like, is is he trying to like force it too much? Kind of like vibe that the commentators were putting over. It was just odd. It was odd and a little bit clunky. The implication was is that Okada was essentially deliberately handicapping himself because he wanted a new challenge and like conventional winning and losing of matches wasn't enough for him anymore. <laughs> and I suppose that's probably the main reason that this match does go down to the wire of being like 29 minutes, 40 seconds, because that's the point when Okada does know he has to go for a Rainmaker. <laughs> See if he wants to make sure he wins this match in the end. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'll Rainmaker you then. Just like someone playing around with their food a little bit too much, just, just, and it's nearly like it, he he nearly got burnt, which speaks to really Tanahashi's like status in Okada's mind. Obviously, again, your bell curve example. He's no longer like the big fawn in his side. He's just like a guy who I, I've got. I can handle. I can always handle him. And, that, and that's just why he's like toying with him a little bit. It's not just that it's returning to the very early matches in like the sort of match quality or the status situation except it's now Okada that's so far ahead of Tanahashi mm. it's also it seems like it's a return to the moves of that era like this whole first 10 minutes of this match is mostly built around the headlock yep I mean they're literally going back to the stuff that was in the very first two matches except uh, and it's still that Okada's trying to get out of the headlock that Tanahashi's applied to him that was literally the story of the first match. The pre-learning excursion Okada. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I don't know if they wanted to just do like a, a cute little callback, if it was like an anniversary or uh, something like that. But it is a little bit peculiar because we've seen him like not get trapped in that so many times now since the start. I don't know. I guess they were trying to be a little bit cute. I don't know. Well, I think it's just because... These guys clearly put so much thought into the lore and the backstory and the callbacks. And also, I think what one of the other reasons is that because they knew they were going 29 minutes and it's the G1 and their bodies can't necessarily go as hard for as fast as they used to, then let's keep it to a simple first 10 minutes and just have it be mat wrestling with a minimum amount of bumps and run down the clock that way, but keep it intriguing in a way. With this one, it's that Tanahashi's trying to keep Okada grounded as much as possible to yeah. prevent the, the natural superior Okada from overpowering, which he finally does. And then when he does at last reverse the headlock and apply it himself, it's like, okay, now Okada's in control and Tanahashi's going to get into trouble. Mm. And then he immediately starts putting him in submission holds. i tell you what was always so curious about this is it just... It's the only one of their matches that was during the COVID era. So it's yeah. the only time we see Okada Tanahashi in front of a pretty much silent audience. And it's so funny. Also just being reminded how much of Japanese wrestling is because the whole idea is that it was imported from America, that they're keeping American customs. So we're getting, we've had that all this time, but just hearing two Japanese wrestlers in the ring talking to a Japanese referee and they're saying, ask him. Do you give up? No. Yeah. It's so unusual, but it's just part of, you know, there are other sports where you do keep the traditions. I think in basically every country that plays cricket, everyone says, how's that? How is that? 
variants of that. It's so funny, though, because I've just so actively avoided watching COVID wrestling. I know we're not post-COVID, but you know what I mean. Post-restrictions. Yeah. That this is maybe the first time I've gone back to that stuff for, like, more than just... It's a, it's a montage in a clip sequence, you know? Yeah, it is jarring. Especially when we watch the matches in the sequence that we have been watching with crowds being, like, amped and into it. And sort of, like, the cra- the crowds shackled, which, obviously, it's nothing against what the wrestlers are doing in the ring, but atmosphere does count for something. Everyone did the best they could to keep everything going. So I'm not... I'm never going to be, like, overtly critical of, of COVID wrestling itself, but... There's a reason wrestling is wrestled in front of crowds that can react, you know? What do you think to this version of Okada then? The more methodical, just in out of control, and also the white, the per- the sheer white look as well, which is, is on pure, it really is like presenting himself as head and shoulders above everyone else and how effortless it is, and whilst at the same time, his nearest rival seemingly at this time is Osprey, who's basically having to walk around half covered in plaster like the mummy <laughs> just to keep up with him. And yeah. is trying to make the whole thing look kind of effortless to him. Yeah, he, he, he seems like aloof, like yeah. bored. And it doesn't, again, and coincide that with this whole lockdown period, it's it's not doing him any favours. And, and again, I suppose it was around this time that I was starting to come to my theory that Okada's only as good as who comes into the match with him. He can't elevate a great match out of a lesser wrestler. And as Hiroshi Tanahashi is becoming increasingly unable to do the action side of things mm. that make the his matches special, that Okada's not the guy that's going to elevate it any further. I would still just give this four stars because of how great the final sequencing is and how they play the, to the end of the whistle, essentially, with the 29 minutes. Yeah, and obviously with their free free draws previously as well, that that's a key factor. But you mean because they've done the time limit draw in three of the four, okay. Yes, yes, that's what I mean. But now it's like, it's not that Tanahashi even surprises or saps Okada of so much energy like in their 2018 matches, which I've come to more appreciate now seeing the post-2018 ones they've had. But it's now, it's clear that it's just, if Tanahashi wins at the end, it's because he finds a sliver of light and just fits through it. Yeah. Like, the ones that seem to get the biggest response from the crowd, like, this is the conceivable finish, is not when Tanahashi's going up for a high fly flow. It's when Tanahashi turns the Rainmaker into an inside cradle. Because he's like, well, this is how Tanahashi in 2021 can beat Okada. Yeah. Tanahashi's very much like Sean Dyche's Burnley in their pomp away at a big six team, like tight, disciplined moveset. He never tries anything like too outlandish, barring obviously the high fly flow to the outside, which is like a staple. But it's good, solid, proficient tactics. And then try and catch him on the break, a la inside cradle, a la set piece, with like a dragon screw kind of thing. So yeah, I guess the most interesting thing about this match for me has been how much it reminds me of the very first matches they've had. And also that they brought back moves from that period, like the headlock, the flapjack, the somersault senton. And also seeing what moves Okada does now that he didn't do back then, and the moves that he did do back then that he doesn't do now. Yeah. You know, I mean, towards the end of the match, it's not just that he hits the dropkick, but he also hits his sort of Falcon Arrow, Michinoku driver type move that he 
brought in, a, I think, last year to surprise someone in on his way to winning it, instead of always opting for the tombstone, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he does do a tombstone in this, and that's like a super variant. Now he's adding the spins to it. So he's catching the guy, the next even more at risk, basically, in kayfabe. Yeah, and he's still doing... It's just so funny, again, because when we watched those first matches, it, it did make me appreciate, okay, there was limb work, there was thought process behind uh, all those old Okada moves, that everything was geared towards the neck, and now it's just not so much, but it doesn't feel like it's been replaced by anything different that also worked. Yeah. Even if you can say Tanahashi just always goes for the knees, except those two matches where he goes for the arms... At least it's a thought-through strategy and it makes sense. Even if now it's starting to get to the point where he's not come up with a new way of going for the knee each time. But like I said, you can argue that it is, he's got so many different ways of going to it. Tanahashi cannot counter every single one of them. So it's all like a rock, paper, scissors situation where you just got to hope that you've gone for rock and he's expecting you to hit him with scissors. So Yeah, Yeah. it's like penalties, basically. You're sort of like, you know... uh... Got to make sure you're diving the right way as the guy, basically. Yeah, obviously, the twist and shouts are now in, which it, I, I can't remember him hitting many twist and shouts in, like, the high part of, like, their rivalry. I think it was always there, but maybe now it's more of a pivotal move, I don't know, because it's all about him using momentum shifters, and that's what the twist and shout's all about. It's always like a reversal move. Yeah, yeah. So, and because now it's more about Tanahashi finding openings and reversals, that's why you're noticing it more, I suppose, that it that that's what it's more about. That's why the sling blade works so well for him. He's got, like, the best defensive sling blade mm. in wrestling, and I'd say Penta's got the best offensive sling blade in wrestling. They use the same move in very different ways. It's fascinating. Well, I think it's also because it works so perfectly as a Rainmaker counter. Yeah. So that's probably why it's used that often in these matches. Maybe in other Tanahashi matches, there's not necessarily as obvious a way of using it as a reversal, so it's just one of his standard, mm. one of his build-up moves to him finishing someone off. Yeah. You know, part of his flurry like Okada has with the dropkick from Michinoku Driver, etc. Yeah. Um, I don't really have much else to say about this one. It's good enough, but the golden era is well and truly over. Yeah. And what I did think that was interesting, though, was that some of the Kevin Kelly referenced when he was saying, who was the last guy that Okada faced before he went on his learning excursion? Hiroshi Tanahashi. Who was Okada just faced before they go on their learning excursion? Yuya Yuimura. Hmm. Wow. Do you reckon they're trying to set up a kind of shock thing with Yuya when he comes back? Who knows? It's just, you don't do this for no reason. Yeah. And Okada is at the age now that Tanahashi was when their feud started. And the whole thing about Okada right now is that it's kind of like, who can possibly beat him? Which we'll talk about more in the next episode. So, I don't know. I don't think think they'll do a like-for-like recreation of the Tanahashi-Okada feud. So I'm not saying that Yuumura will turn up at Wrestle Kingdom next year and win the IWGP title in February of 2024. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but if they book that that way, then maybe Yuimura is gonna be the closest to an equivalence in their hopes. Anyway, you know who knows that they've so blatantly set Shota Umino up as being the new Tanahashi. Yeah, but so far it seems like the reception to his return, especially his match with Naito, has been mixed. Mm. So 
there's still a long, you know, there's not that many Okadas out there at 23 years old. No. So to expect Uemura or Suji or anyone else to be like that is probably asking too much. Okada was very much like a Tiger Woods, a Patrick Mahomes, a Michael Jordan level of like talent at that age. Like a Jude Bellingham. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's keep it domestic. Yeah. Even if he is a blue nose. Uh, well, you know, future England captain Jude Bellingham, let's face it. <laughs> touch, touch wood, touch wood. I hear <sighs> that Birmingham City tried to open a Jude Bellingham store in the bull ring after Forever 21 got shut down, called Forever 22. <laughs> Do you know why he had that shirt number? Oh, it was the seven plus... Whatever. Eight plus four plus ten. Yeah. Just giving, you know. Uh, look, he's building up enough ammo for me to dislike him. The blue nose already doesn't help matters. <laughs> if he ends up going to Liverpool, that won't help matters either. Ah, oh, well. Anyway, that's enough talk about that. And that's enough talk about this match. Like I said, this was the penultimate one. We have one more match left to go in the rerun, the rivalry one. We've discussed there might be an epilogue. Depends on certain things that pan out in the next few days. Well, but technically, what... technically, this next match was going to kind of be our epilogue, but um, illness yeah, but... got in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is where it would have ended if this was the December schedule that we've maintained. <laughs> Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Yes. But enough about your evening life, Simon. Brilliant. <laughs> Oh, dear me. But where are we next, Simon? We are going stateside again, but not to Dallas this time. We are in California. Super cool to the homeless, according to South Park. San Jose, (laughs) which in Spanish means the whale's penis. (laughs) Hence the hose. Hey. Oh, dear. But yes, we're at Battle of the Valley. This one's got some stakes to it, though. It's for the IWGP. Now, this one is called the World Heavyweight Championship. Mm. <sighs> the new ugly, ugly belt. Oh. It's not ugly. It's just different. No, it's... I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like change. It's not change. It's shit change. It's different. Like a coin with the king's head on it. That's some shit change. Hey. But until then, if people want to get in touch with, get in touch with you, Simon, what are they got to do? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm signing as Simon Cross Free. Free for the different numbers that are added together to make up Jude Bellingham's shirt number. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L A for the N for the A N in another joke at the expense of Birmingham City and their absurd <laughs> policy towards Jude Bellingham and the two years he was at the club. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something, and I hope you'll come back, because you might as well. It'd be a real waste of your time and ours if you didn't for the last episode, as we come to the end of our rerunning of the rivalry. <laughs>